The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Speaking of influence, I want to talk about influence today. Uh, influence, there's so many things in our lives that, that influence us. You know, from the youngest of age, um, we came up and we were influenced by our parents. Uh, we were influenced by our uh, home life, our siblings, our, our neighborhood, our, our friends, and, and these experiences we had going through life began to influence us, all these experiences. And as we grew, we started to understand certain hopes and goals, dreams, and passions that we have. And these things began to influence us along the way. We began to uh, be influenced. And um, the, the industry knows that. The commercial industry knows that. They, that's why they spend so much time and money trying to influence uh, you and I uh, through a commercial. They try to influence. They have this one little 30-second window, and it's all about influence. And they try to influence you and I to come under the influence, if you will, of this product or this belief that this will change our life if we just get this thing or do this thing or take this thing, um, that we will come under the influence of this greater, um, we'll be in a greater place if we come under the influence of these commercials. Uh, and when we talk about under the influence, one thing that comes to mind right away is driving under the influence. We all heard of that, right? DUI, driving under the influence. It's when the influence of the thing we came under begins to impair and change what we do and why we do it and how we do it, this has to do with influence. Influence has so much um, uh, control and weight in our lives, or it can, what we come under the influence of. And today, this morning, I want to talk to you about being under the influence. What do you talk about church today? Being under the influence. What kind of church is that? Um, I want to talk to you about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You were made to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You were made to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, the Bible says in Romans 8. Those who are led by the Spirit are daughters of God, children of God. We are children of God if we are in fact led by by the Spirit, if we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, under the realm of the Spirit's guidance. The Bible says, stay in step with the Holy Spirit, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say that because the world would like you to be under the influence of the world, and you can't do both at the same time. We will either be under the influence of the world, or we're going to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to encourage you, if you, if you make a passionate decision to choose to live your life under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will get in on everything that God has for you. You won't miss opportunities. You will be where you need to be, when you need to be, when we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So we're going through, guys, we're going through the book of Matthew, and today we're at Matthew 25. If you guys have your Bible, you want to turn there, or if you read it on your phone, your device, and we'll put it up on the screen. Uh, we're talking about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And where we're at right now in the passage, what we've been looking at, Jesus is talking about his return. Everyone say his return. His return. And what he's been saying over and over again is don't get sleepy about this. Don't get sleepy about it. Don't fall asleep on this 
reality, the spiritual promise of Jesus' return. Don't fall asleep. And he's been saying some things about what it's going to look like at the end, what will be the signs. And over the last three weeks, we looked at some of the signs of the return of Christ, prophetic things, according to the Bible, what has already happened, what is left to happen on the prophetic calendar before Jesus' return. But now he's switching uh, the focus to you and I and what kind of mindset and heart condition will we have before and right when he returns. So it's not, not now looking at the signs and the things that we will see and observe and quantify and hear in the news, the prophetic things. Now it has to do with what will be our mindset and our heart condition at the time. And so that's where this passage um, comes in. And, and quite simply on the front end, uh, here's the thesis. If, if you and I are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we will completely be ready for the return of Jesus. If you and I are not living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we will not be ready for Jesus. And this passage, Jesus is going to lay it out for us in such a clear way for us to see that living under the influence of the Holy Spirit is the zone you want to be. It's the, it's the realm you want to live in and walk in and carry out your life. So let's go through this. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. It's where we left off last week. And it starts out like this. We're going to look at it in sections. It says, uh, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Let's break this down. Jesus starts out, the kingdom is like, the kingdom, the kingdom is like. All the parables talk about the kingdom of God. That's what the parables are. They're stories to break down to you and I, to to readers for the last 2,000 years, on what the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom of God, a lot of people think the kingdom is heaven when you get there, but it's bigger than that. It's the realm of God. The kingdom of God belongs, uh, exists here and now, and it belongs in heaven. It's the realm of God when you and I step into God's control, when we say, God, you are the Lord and I am not, and we step in and we trust our lives with him and the provision of Jesus Christ, that's when you and I enter the kingdom. And the realm of God is so cool because you can be walking down the street in the natural world, walking down the street with your friend, and one of you can be walking in the kingdom and the other one is not. Isn't that interesting? You're walking down the street, you and a buddy. One is walking in the kingdom, the other one is not. Why? Because one of them entered the realm of God under the surrender to the lordship of the living God, and the other one didn't. So one's in the realm and one's not in the realm. Anybody can enter the realm at any time through, through Jesus, and the realm of God, this parable, Jesus is explaining what this realm looks like. And it, it continues for our entire journey, and we'll get to see the fullness of the kingdom when we see him face to face. But in the meantime, the kingdom includes now, and the kingdom includes then. Everyone say now and then. Okay, the now is the part we're living today, but Jesus, interestingly about this parable, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you about the kingdom then, which is interesting. He's pointing to a time a time in the realm of the kingdom. He's pointing to a a, a tipping point, a very clear delineated marker in the kingdom of God. The realm of God, those who step into it, and there's going to be a moment, a moment in the realm, 
And Jesus is pointing, his focus is pointing to that moment. Uh, Jesus says, at that time, let me tell you what the kingdom's like, at that time. And so he's, he's about to break it down to us right now at the time of his return specifically. So the parables, this is what's cool about parables. I love parables. Um, the parables tell us so much stuff. They are so rich. The parables tell us how we enter the kingdom, how we actually step into that realm, how we do and how we don't. Uh, it tells us um, who is in and who's not in based on certain things. Uh, it gives us some evidences, some proofs of those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. It, it tells us what the privileges and the benefits for those who are in the realm of God, the kingdom of God, and also the realities for those who are not. All these things are explained, and this one, again, is focusing on not the kingdom right here and now as you and I walk, but the kingdom then at that time in this point of the fulfillment of the kingdom when Jesus returns. And so in the parables, what you always want to do with every parable, there's a story. And what's cool about this is for 2,000 years, people have been listening to the words of Jesus. And when you hear the story, um, the listener is supposed to be able to walk away and talk to their buddies who heard the story or their family or at the dinner table and go, that was interesting, the people he talked about in the story. Which one am I? Which one am I in the story? Because guess what? You and I are in the parables. We have to figure out which one we are. It's the realm. It's how it works. It's the economy of God, the realm of God, the the citizenship, the expectations, all these things. Which one am I? So when you look at these parables, you look at that. I know the bridegroom, clearly the bridegroom is Jesus coming back for his bride. How many of you know Jesus is coming back for his bride? He's coming back for his bride. He is the bridegroom. Groom. He's coming back for his bride, which the Bible refers to again and again as the church, and Jesus coming back for his bride. And the Bible also lays out this beautiful picture of a wedding feast when Jesus returns, this epic celebration, this monumental celebration where God's going to lay out a feast for us. He's going to set a table before us, so to speak. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be profound. It's going to be amazing. And there's this wedding feast. And the 10 virgins in the story represent all the people who really like the idea of going to the wedding. They really like the idea of heaven. That's their plan. In fact, you and I know many people that if you ask them, uh, do you think you will be going to heaven or hell? Most that we know will go, oh, heaven, heaven for sure, right? Um, And if you ask, do you think you're going there? Yeah, I do. Okay. Why do you think you're going there? Because I'm a pretty good person, right? Isn't this what you hear? Is what I hear. Pretty good person. Um, and why do you think that? Well, I just think I do more good than bad, and there's other people worse than me, so I think I'm good, and I think I, I deserve heaven. So a lot of people, I would, I, I'd venture to say, at least the people I've talked to, the, the plan of many people when it comes to eternity is heaven. It sounds like a great idea. Why would I want to miss out on it? So yes, I like the idea. The 10 virgins in this story are all waiting. Listen, they're all waiting for a the bridegroom to come. They're all expecting to get in on a party. They don't all know how to do it. They don't all understand or do what it takes to be ready. However, they all want the idea of, yes, the, bride, the bridegroom's going to come. There's going to be a celebration. We're going to get to go to a wedding, feast of a lifetime. Yes, I like that idea. Sign me up. And so that's what's interesting about this. 
uh, parable is that there's 10 virgins depicted here representing people who like the idea of heaven or the celebration of the bridegroom coming and getting in on this many, this profound thing. But how many of you guys know that there are many that like the idea of heaven, uh, but, but never follow through on it? Uh, They like the idea of eternity. They like the idea of forgiveness. They like the idea of God's favor and power and grace and blessing, but simply don't follow uh, through on it. The Bible has a lot to say about the parables, about those who like the idea, but walk away when it comes to taking steps. Some agree with the principle of being ready, but others are actually getting ready. Some agree with the principle, the idea, the plan of getting ready, and some actually get ready. And the focus of this passage is quite simply, who will be ready and who will not be? The idea of heaven, cool. The idea of Jesus coming back, cool. The idea of eternity where he wipes away every tear, awesome. The idea of a feast that he sets before, awesome. What about getting ready? Oh, well, you know, (laughs) I don't know about that. And this is where the disconnect is, and this is the parable that Jesus is talking about at the time of his return. And all of a sudden, it says, in verse 6, it says, at midnight, everyone's sleeping, at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him, he's here. Now, I want you to picture something. Picture tonight, tonight while you're sleeping, at midnight, you hear a loud voice outside. Hey, wake up. The bridegroom is here. Come out and meet him. And you're like, seriously? Like, real? Like, ne- like now? Like, Jesus is back tonight? Like, literally right now. Like, I just fell asleep. And you're like, come on, get up and meet him. Let's go. Where are you going to be at? Where's your head? Where's your heart going to be at? What's going to be your disposition? Are you going to believe it? Are you going to be ready? Are you willing to step in? Or is that like, oh, I, I like the idea of heaven, but... Am I ready? Am I not ready? I don't know if I'm ready. I mean, think about this. This is a profound moment because Jesus is talking about this time. The entire parable hinges on this time when this long-awaited promise of his return. And people are going, when is he coming? It seems to be taking forever, just like the parable says. And yet he shows up all of a sudden and people are waking up going, oh, really right now, like literally right now, and that's what's going on. It's a total shocker. I don't know what you would do if the bridegroom came at midnight. I don't know what I would do. There's a song about this because in the middle of your sleep, if you got to go out and meet him like right now, what will be your first encounter with King Jesus who returns for his bride or his church? I don't know what it will look like. We can only imagine, right? In fact, there's a song about that. I can only imagine And the song goes on, I can only imagine what it's going to be like. I can only imagine what it's going to look like. I I can only imagine what I'm going to do. What am I going to think? And and it goes something like this. It goes, uh, the the, the singer is explaining, I have no idea what I'm going to do. He goes, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? He's like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to dance in front of Jesus. I don't know if I'm going to hit my knees in front of Jesus. I can't even imagine what I'm going to do in front of Jesus. But when he comes, he's going to come, and I'm going to meet him, 
and I don't know what I'm going to do, but he's imagining what he might do when he finally sees him face to face. That's what the parable's talking about. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Guess what? It's on now. Whoa, what are you going to do? And so this passage, by the way, says that he comes at night. Now, I just want to say this passingly. How many of you know the Bible says nobody knows the day or the hour, right? Nobody knows the day. So no one can predict. No one can predict. The Bible says they would be a false prophet if they predict when Jesus is coming. They can't pick a day or an hour. Nobody knows. Uh, But we do know signs and seasons, and we can discern the signs and seasons to go, oh, that's interesting. The Bible said these things would happen. So we know our seasons, but we don't know the day or the hour. But what's interesting in this passage, it says... It's midnight, it's the middle of the night. And as I jumped into this, and I've, really, I've looked at this before, but for some reason this really just kept resonating with me over and over again as I started looking up all these passages referring to the return of Jesus. Uh, this is kind of surprising, um, but many of them, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to say them real quick. Mark, Mark 13, 35 says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether, listen, in the evening or midnight, or when the rooster crows at dawn, in the evening when we go to sleep, in the middle of the night, or when the rooster crows when we're just about to wake up. That passage suggests sleepy time. It just seems to suggest. Luke 12, 38 says, it will be good for those servants who his master finds him ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. Not daybreak, but towards it. Interesting how many passages talk about the return in the night. Um, G, uh, Luke 12, 35 says this, be dressed and ready for service and keeping your lamps burning. Keeping your lamps burning. In the daytime, you don't need the lamp as much as you do at the night. Um, uh, Matthew 24 and Thessalonians 5, 2, uh, both record this Jesus coming back like a thief in the night, in the night, saying people aren't going to be ready. They're going to be surprised. Uh, in Revelation six fifteen, Jesus says, Uh, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blesses the one who stays awake. Um, So again, no one knows the day or the hour. It's just quite ironic that these passages talking about the return of Jesus, a lot of them seem to imply at least the spiritual concept of the middle of the night, if not uh, a reality. Um, So maybe when you were young, if your parents ever taught you the song, um, taught you the prayer, excuse me, many of you heard this, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep right? You've heard this? Maybe that was a lot of wisdom. Maybe they read all these passages in the Bible and they set you up for success in the kingdom of God to pray that way before you go to sleep. It just reminds me of what heart condition we need to have when we go to sleep because this is just the glaring reality. What if Jesus comes in the middle of the night like all these passages? What's our position? Where are we at in our head and in our heart? Where are we? Are we living under the influence of the Holy Spirit in the right place? Where are we? Uh, This goes on um, in verse 7. Again, we have the sudden announcement. The bridegroom is here. Come out and meet him. Hurry up. It's on right now. Everyone's waking up. It says this in verse 7. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So the focus now in the passage starts to turn to oil, interestingly, turns to oil. 
And oil is symbolic here in this passage of a genuine faith in Christ and a genuine, everyone who is in Christ is sealed with the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit is indwelling as, as a guarantee, as a deposit of what's to come, the Bible says, the Spirit uh, in our lives. And, and the proof is being ready. The proof is that I'm in Christ, the Spirit is in me. I have oil in my lamp. That's, that's the, the proof. The proof is that there's a fire burning on the inside because the Spirit of God is likened to a fire on the inside. And the Bible says, do not quench. Everyone say quench. Don't quench the Holy Spirit, that you've been sealed by the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit inside of us. That's the command for believers saying, if you've got the Spirit in you, don't be pouring water on the fire. Don't quench the Spirit, which we can do by lifestyle choices. The Bible's telling us don't do that. In fact, what you want to do is fan into flame. You want to have that fire burning on the inside. You've heard the, 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 the description of people being on fire for God, Right? being on fire because they have oil in their lamps and the Spirit of God is lighting them up on the inside. This is what this is uh, referring to. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. On the day of Pentecost, it seemed what appeared to be tongues of what? Fire. And we're talking about oil in our lamps burning for the glory of God. This is symbolism the Bible is laying out for us ones. But here it's what it's saying is the foolish ones, the foolish ones, there was 10 of them, five foolish and five wise, the foolish ones were not ready because they had no oil. They had no oil. They were out of oil. They panicked, and they were in a scramble. And then ironically, in the middle of this, they asked if they could actually borrow some oil. Um, listen, when the bridegroom comes back, how many of you know it's too late to borrow any oil? There is no borrowing any oil, and there's no buying oil. How many of you know you can't really buy this oil? Do you know this kind of oil is not for sale? It's free, though. It's free in abundance, but you can't buy it. And that's part of the good news. When Paul was traveling through Ephesus, people are going like, uh, you know, I want what you have. I'll pay you for it. I'll pay you for the fire you have. Give me that oil, Paul. I'll pay you for it. You're like, this stuff isn't for sale. Are you kidding? It's not for sale. You can't buy this oil. You can't buy it. But it's free. It's free to everyone who comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ and begins to be walking. When you come under the faith with Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then from there, you learn how to be filled with the Spirit, where your oil reserves are higher and higher. Jesus told a woman at the well, she, he says, ma'am, rivers of living water can flow out of you. Like, like, I have an abundance for you, you have no idea. And the lady was like, wow, that sounds amazing. I don't know what that's like, but I, I want what you're offering. And so, the oil is a very profound thing, and the uh, service, uh, I mean, this passage focuses on this. And, and so here's, here's the thing. If you're a note taker, I got just three quick points for you, and we're going to be wrapping up quickly here. But uh, the first one is this. Everyone is responsible for their own oil. Everyone's responsible for their own oil. You see, we can tell others where to get oil. We can tell others how to get oil, but we cannot tell others, we cannot actually give oil to others. Others can tell us where to get oil. Others can tell us how to get oil, but others cannot get oil for us. They can't really give us oil. It doesn't work that way. Oil is symbolic of the presence and the power of the Spirit of God in your life. When you're in a relationship with Him and you're growing and you're being filled with the Spirit, 
uh, it's an outflow, it's an indication, almost like a car, you can check the oil and go, yep, it has it or it doesn't. The same thing with the oil of the Spirit in our life. It's either we're overflowing, we're filled, or we're, we got a flicker going on if we're in the faith, and the Bible's like, hey, don't quench the Spirit. In fact, fan it into flame. And the Bible keeps commanding that we get filled with the Spirit. And by the way, when the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit, it's an, uh, the, 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 the tense of the verb, be filled, is ongoing be filled, keep getting filled, keep going back to the source and get filled with the Spirit um, is, the, is the context there. So we can't tell others where to get it, but the Father is the giver of gifts. And every good and perfect gifts, gift comes from the Father of lights. And Jesus says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more? The Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And that is absolutely beautiful. Um, So here's a second point this morning. If we're under the Holy Spirit's influence, we will be ready for Christ's return, quite simply. If we are under the Holy Spirit's influence, this passage tells us loud and clear, we will be ready for Christ's return because the Spirit in us will lead us and guide us and point to things and bear witness. And we're going to look at just in closing some of the things the Holy Spirit does do as an indication of his oil in our lives, that we, if we have oil in our lamps, our fire is burning. We have a fire and it's burning. We don't have oil, there is no fire and there's nothing to burn. And the oil that the foolish ones want think they can buy it and you can't buy it. They also think they can borrow it and you can't borrow it. It's a gift of God. It's a free gift of God, but we get it from God. He's the source. He's the giver of the spirit, the Bible says. In verse 10, this is the conclusion and this is a, a a little reality check for all of us when we look at this indication of wise and foolish and at that time of the return of Jesus, how things actually go down. Verse 10, it says this, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Everyone say the door was shut. Ouch. The door was shut. That's something we don't think about. Open door, close. We don't think about that. But the door was shut. Jesus is talking about at the time of my return, if you got oil in your lamp, you'll be ready. Because guess what? The door doesn't stay open. The door will shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So the foolish ones were out trying to borrow oil. Then they were trying to buy oil. And the bottom line, it's too late. When Jesus comes back, it's not time to get your program together, get your act together. Oh yeah, all those things I was thinking about, I was going to do, I was going to change. I was going to turn and follow you, but I was waiting for some other day. When he comes back, boom, it's not like I'll do it now. It seems to suggest that's the time. There's oil at the return or there's no oil. It's not about borrowing, getting, obtaining, or buying it. Uh, The door to heaven up until this point was wide open. Everyone say wide open. The door of heaven is wide open. God so loved the whole world that he sent his only son. That whosoever will believe, whosoever, it's a wide open invitation to everyone. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever believes in their heart and confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord. It's a wide door to heaven. It's monumentally wide. But guess what? There's coming a time where, boom, it's shut. And we're like, wow, that's a novel concept. We see in the passage of Noah's ark, the door is open. 
And Noah's bringing in the family. He's bringing in the animals. And there's people who could have said, Noah, I believe in your God and I want to be in too. I want what he has to offer. But they're just laughing at Noah. They're just laughing at him. They don't want any part of what he has to do. Until it starts to rain. And it says God closed the doors of the ark. God sealed them in. And only those in the ark were saved. And that's the way it is going to be with heaven. There's an open door, but there's a time at the return where the door closes. There's oil in the lamp or there's not oil in the lamp. And, and Jesus says these words that he says in a couple of different passages, and it's kind of an alarming word. They're saying, Lord, Lord, which means you're, you are my king and my master, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is like, I know you're using that word, but actually I was never your king and master. And they know it. The people yelling, Lord, Lord, are just using the word, Lord, Lord, but Jesus was never their Lord and master. And that's why he's saying, I never knew you. It's not like he didn't know about them. Of course he knew about them. But he's like, I wanted to be in relationship with you your whole life, but you wouldn't let me. I tried so forever, and now I'm finally back, and you never engaged, you never turned, you wouldn't follow, you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't surrender, you wouldn't accept, you never... You never lived under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So don't say, Lord, Lord, now as the gates closed. And Jesus is saying, I never knew you. So that's a pretty alarming picture of what it looks like. It means we're either truly in Christ or we're truly not. There's none of this, I think I am, and maybe I'm not. I don't know, I sort of am, or maybe he's my Lord today, but no, he's not. It's like we're in or we're out. He's the king or he's not the king. He's the Lord or he's not the Lord. We're living under the influence of the Holy Spirit or we're living under the influence of the world. And here are three closing signs, guys. Closing signs that you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering, like, okay, I hear the passage, I hear the parable, and I want to live under the Holy Spirit's influence. Here are three signs or indicators that you are, in fact, under the Holy Spirit's influence. In fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up. Three signs that you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The first one is a passionate love for Jesus. A passionate love for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us in the first place and reveals who Jesus is in the first place and makes the things of Jesus come alive in the first place. So it's the Holy Spirit who's beginning to flip the switch and turn up the thermostat. And what is it? It aims to Jesus and it gives us a passion for Jesus. Not just, yes, we historically know there was a teacher who came and he healed people, and he had profound teachings. No, that's not the Lord. The Lord is somebody that you begin to understand. He is God's son. He came for me, and this is personal. And a sign that you were under the influence of the Holy Spirit is you have a passionate love for Jesus. And that would be evidenced in some kind of love life with Jesus. There would be devotional time or a worship lifestyle or time in the Word. If you really love him, you connect with him, and you live that way. So that's something for us to check ourselves the next sign of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit is godly character. Godly character, Galatians 5.22 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. If you and I are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we will have these things or these fruits will be growing in our life. We may not have arrived, but we're choosing to live here. And as God transforms us and renews our mind, as we get sanctified, as the Bible says, we begin to, as we walk in relationship with him under the influence and staying in step, these are the fruits that begin to manifest and take, uh, take form in our life as the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. That is a clear evidence that we're living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the third one is knowledge of truth. The Spirit of God uh, reminds us of what is true. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will remind you of what is true. He will point you when you read scripture. He's the one that says, Psst, 
this is my word. How many of you know the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible? You guys know that? You need to know that. No prophecy of scripture was written by just the intention and heart of man. It was the spirit of God moving people along over, you know, a 1,500-year period with 40 different authors on three different continents writing the word of God. All scripture is spirit-breathed. The spirit of God moved and wrote this. So when you read it, the spirit in you, if you're under the influence, goes, psst, that's me. I said that. And it's beautiful. It begins to just come alive. And you're like, wow, God, this is true. And then you hear other things in life and you go, no, I'm sorry, that's not true. And that's not true. And that is, and that's not, and that is, and that's not. And you start to go through life discerning truth where others around you aren't. Why? Because you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit and he will help us discern all truth. He will lead us in all truth. This is what he simply does. And these are evidences that we are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I just want to lastly close with this with this encouragement to you. Maybe you sense in your life, maybe you haven't stepped into faith with Jesus as a commitment today. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, you appreciate him, you have respect for him, but maybe you haven't come under his lordship. Where if you saw him tonight, if he woke you up at midnight and you met him face to face, and if you said, Lord, Lord, would he say, I didn't know you? Or would he say, I did know you? And I mean as Lord. Not just He's a good guy, he's a miracle worker, he came, he healed, he did great things. No, that's, that's not going to get it done, guys. He's the Lord or not. And if he's the Lord, he puts a spirit in you. And that's where you begin your life, is with saying yes to Jesus and his provision by faith, not works, and he puts a spirit. And this is where you get the fire lit in your life. This is where the torch goes on, poof. And that will, spirit will stay with you as a seal guaranteeing what's to come. And then from there, from there, The Bible says, and we see this with the believers in Jesus Christ, going back to God and saying, God, fill me again. Fill me. I have your spirit, but God, I want to be filled with your spirit. And we see in the Bible, in the book of Acts, coming back to God, the apostles who were filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4 or 5, they're going right back to God saying, God, would you fill us again? And you're thinking, guys, you were just filled. What are you even asking something like that? And they're like, Because our lives are being poured out like a drink offering. And we're serving God. And God lit us up and he mobilized us. And we're pouring our life out. But God wants to take us into some greater mobilization. He wants us to step into things we've never stepped into before. And it's not going to be by strength or might. It's only going to be by the power of his spirit. And God, fill us again. Fill us again, God. And God says, I will do that. I will honor that. And guess what God did? He filled them again. And then the Bible continues to say how people got filled and how people got filled. And the Bible commands in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Believers in the church, these are already believers who are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that have the Holy Spirit. The Bible is saying, listen, it's a command for you. Keep going back to the source and say, fill me. I don't want to just be sealed. I want to be filled. I want to be filled. I want the thermostat cranked up. I want the fire of God in me. I can't create it on my own. I can only do it if you fill me with your oil, God. If you fill me with your oil and you'll fan me into flame, then I will burn for your glory. And people will come and watch you burn. They will come and watch you burn. And you will say, it is not me. It is he who is in me. Anything I got's like filthy rags. I got nothing to give. I got nothing. God uses the least likely. But they will see the fire of God burning in you. They will see the fire of God in your heart and in your eyes. And it's simply you saying, God, fill me. Give me oil. Light me on fire. He'll turn the thermostat up in your life. 
I just want to ask if you this morning, our prayer team is going to come up here, but I just want to ask if you have not accepted the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you want to do that now, please stand with us. And also, if you need to be filled more with God's Spirit, please stand with us. There was a time in my life when I was not filled with the Spirit, and there's a time in my life when I was filled with the Spirit. And guess what? There was a time in my life where I had to go back and get filled with the Spirit again. And sometimes I got to go back and get filled with the Spirit again. And this Friday, we're having a prayer time. You want to get filled with the Spirit? You come down and you pray and you sit in the Lord's presence for a focused time with no phone and no people and you just focus on Him in an environment of praise and adoration and worship and you just pray to Him and watch what He does. He begins to pour out His Spirit on your life. Let's uh, just raise your hands to heaven if you're, you want to surrender things. Maybe there's some things you need to empty right now, but you will also receive when you empty to God. Lord, we come before you this morning. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. You are good and you are good all the time. Every perfect and good gift comes from you, the Father of lights. And how much more will you give your spirit to those who ask? Lord, I just want to ask first today of any who have not surrendered to the Lordship of you that would say, Lord, Lord, and yesterday it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, This morning it wouldn't have mattered because you weren't the Lord. So those words have zero weight whatsoever. It's just a name like in the dictionary. But when we come under your Lordship, when we surrender our life to you, wow, that word has got so much power because along with it comes the power and the provision of your kingdom. And Lord, if there's any today that are saying, God, it's time. If I see you tonight at midnight, I need to know that you're my Lord. If that's you, just tell them in the privacy of your own heart. Say, God, that's me. Now is the time I'm stepping under your lordship. Now is the time I get off the throne and you get on it. Now is the time you become the king of my life, of my universe, and I demote myself, God. I thank you for what you did on the cross. You died for my sins. I turn and follow. Help me walk this out. But I believe it by faith. Put your spirit in me. Start a fire in me, God, and show me how to walk with you. And if you said that, he is pleased with you. And there's a celebration in heaven today. There's a celebration in heaven today for you. And for the rest of us, we say, God, uh, we want less of us and more of you, God. We need to be like John the Baptist where we go, I need to decrease so he can increase. And he wants to increase inside of me, but I need to decrease so he can increase. So God, today, we just hold up hands to you and say, God, we confess. We want to decrease. We need to decrease. Maybe there's too much of us in our lives, God. We want to decrease and we want to be filled with your spirit, God. So fill us fresh with your spirit, Lord, right now, today, God. Fill us fresh with your spirit. Show us, Lord, where we need to sit with you, how we need to slow down with you, how we can commune with you and continually live a lifestyle of being filled with your spirit. Not a one-time thing, but ongoing, being filled and being filled and being filled. That, God, you would light us on fire and we would just burn for your glory, God. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said... Amen, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.